scrambles He's left, winds up, runs the ball. He's got time at the 10 to the 5, yes! to the end zone, touchdown, and a dagger! Giannis into the lane, Giannis spinning, fading shot, up, gone for Giannis at the buzzer! Bucks win it! Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast, presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansighted and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy Podcast, where you can find all the work we do on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. We tweet a lot about the Bucks, Brewers, and Packers. Joining me, as always, is Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. And we are here to talk some Brewers baseball. We are inching closer and closer to opening day. We got about two weeks as we're recording this, a little less before the home opener against the Cubs. But before we get to that, we have some scrimmages to cover. We have some roster news to get dive into. But how are you doing today, Trevor? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I had I had a pretty good weekend. Got to hang out with my family and my girlfriend and drank some beer, sat around the fire. Um, everything was good. Played some disc golf this weekend as well. The bugs were terrible, both <laughs> at our house when we were having the fire and when we went disc golfing earlier today. But overall, it was it was a pretty, pretty solid weekend and definitely enjoyable that's for sure that's good it's it's hard to believe we're halfway through july now so time is definitely cruising by pretty fast here and summer is summer is in full swing but it's going to come to an end here pretty soon unfortunately um assuming the world goes back to somewhat normal but the Brewers are trying to make the most out of that right now in their somewhat normal. They are hosting intra-squad scrimmages. They hosted a slew of them over last week, a lot of them being presented on the Brewers' webpage, which was kind of cool. It's cool to see them scrimmage and go through scenarios and whatnot. I was a little disappointed. The first one I watched had no sound, but thankfully the Brewers fixed that for the later scrimmages, and they even had some instant replays in there, so... I think they did a fairly good job with it, but do you have any thoughts or headliners of the scrimmages so far and what we can take away from them? I I really do not, and I won't lie. That's because I haven't really gotten an opportunity to watch them. I am excited and hopeful to be able to watch some of the games coming up for next week, and I know we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I am super excited to watch some of those games that they have coming up there. Overall, looking at kind of the highlights and things from different people on Twitter and all that kind of stuff, there has been some exciting stuff. It's it's good to see Corey Knable back. Um, probably like to see that fastball a little bit higher yet, but great to see him back on the mound. Um, you know, Woody getting back on the on the mound and getting. Uh, 
the the MVP Christian Yelich to strike out. I mean, so it sounds sounds and looks like Woody's right back up to what we kind of expect him to be. So overall, it's it's some exciting exciting stuff happening, and hopefully, I can get to watch some of those scrimmages that'll be coming up next week. Yeah, the Brandon Woodruff versus Christian Yelich Yelich matchup was very exciting, and th- those two guys kind of hyped it up beforehand as well, but. As you're saying, Woody threw about 70 pitches on Thursday's scrimmage, and it sounds like Council's plan is to have him pitch around that or maybe build him up a little bit more, pitching every five days, leading right up until opening day. So it's safe to assume Woodruff's going to be our opening day starter, given that plan. But the interesting parts about Woodruff striking Yelich out and not only that it was twice, but it was the fact that one of them was on a changeup. So Woody, as we know, has an electric fastball sitting around that 96-mile-per-hour range. And looking at his distribution from last year on Baseball Savant, he threw that fastball 64% of the time. That slider came in second at 20 and changeup third at 14%. So it sounded like he'd been working a lot on that changeup during quarantine. He can kind of you know, have another weapon in his arsenal that he utilizes more often to keep hitters off balance. That's going to come in handy against matchups against the elite hitters like Christian Yelich. So I was very pleased with the results of how he got him out, more so that he struck him out. Yeah, and that's basically iron sharpening iron there. That's that's a great, great battle to watch in these inter-squad games because you put out your some of your best pitchers against the arguably the best hitter in baseball right now or damn near it and and just let your pitchers get better throwing against one of the best guys in the league at hitting the baseball and it's the same for Yelich when he goes up up against you know Brandon Woodruff or Josh Hader it just it helps both sides and and that's exciting to watch yeah it it certainly is because Woodruff as we know He really came on towards the middle of the season last year, kind of really pitching to that ace level of performance. And then, of course, the oblique injury happened. But it was cool to watch him last year. That fastball velocity just kept rising and rising. He was getting stronger as the season went on. And then in the wildcard game, he was damn near 98, 99 with all the adrenaline pumping through his veins. So we know he can reach back and get it. But to to control a changeup is... It's going to be a game changer for him, and I'm excited to see how that plays out for him this year. Speaking of other guys who can reach back and throw it, you mentioned Corey Knable was back on the mound, and his velo was a little bit down. And yeah, that's accurate. His fastball velocity during the scrimmages was around that 92 to 94 range. And in 2018, he averaged 96.9, so we'll just call it 97 just to round up. But are you concerned about his drop in velocity at all? Because the first thing that comes to mind is how Jeremy Jefferson, his dead arm, really could never recover from that, and his velocity was lower, and he just got hit around, and I really don't want that to happen to Corey Knabel. I think it's something that you need to be watching um, and see how he progresses. So I haven't been extremely up on... Canable's kind of recovery and what he's been able to do throwing the baseball that much but I do think if it kind of trends this way up until you know we play the White Sox I believe on the 22nd for a camp kind of exhibition game and or 
that that Cubs game on the 24th or that series whenever he we first see him in true live game action outside of inner squad scrimmages we have to continue to watch that and if that is slowly progressing up and by the time he throws in the Cubs games he's throwing more 94 to 96 I think it's just him getting back into the swing of things and just trying to figure it out like I said just getting back into it 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 could take a while to get that velocity back up a little bit higher to where he had it previously but now you if you're going into that Cubs game and he's consistently throwing, you know, 92 to 94, that that's going to be something that you definitely want to keep an eye on and continue to watch because that could be a Jeremy Jeffers scenario. So I'm not, I, I'm kind of worried about it, but at the same time, I don't think we can be extremely worried um, until we get too far too far like back like going past this we ha- we have to see what he's able to do coming up because i do think it can take some time to truly get up that velocity for these pitchers it does take time and you know we think like usually guys can recover fairly well from Tommy John this isn't like a Jimmy Nelson injury where you're you're you had labrum surgery this is like guys come back from this all the time. The velocity, I guess, is the biggest question. I mean, I think Ethan Small, our former first-round pick, had Tommy John surgery, and his velocity hasn't been the same since. That was obviously quite a few years ago. But I just worry with Knable because of how dependent he is on that fastball. Like that's his his bread and his butter. I mean, in 2018, he went to that fastball 70% of the time, and then mixing the curve the rest. So. If you're if you're down a few ticks, guys are gonna hit you, and it's it would suck for that to happen to Knable, another great pitcher um, who who is hopefully trying to rebound off the injury train, which the Brewers have not had good success with lately. But hopefully he can break that trend. Other like, news out of camp. I think one guy to keep an eye on is Ben Gamble, and that's kind of a surprising thing for me to say, but. He's been hitting really, really well. I mean, on Friday, he had a two-run bomb off Josh Lindblom. In Sunday's scrimmage, he had three hits, two of them which were doubles. And Adam McKelvey tweeted out that he basically clinched the uh, batting title in the Brewers' inter-squad scrimmages, which is kind of funny, but really just kind of shows he's he's had a good first week here of summer camp so one big thing that may have contributed to it was him tweaking his swing this is not of my own doing it's from at brewers of mke on twitter posted a thread about how ben gamble's kind of changed his stance and it kind of looks similar to yelich if you if you look real closely at this guy's thread on twitter you'll see gamble's hands last year were kind of up higher behind his headish and now this year his hands not necessarily higher they're just more out towards the plate which is very similar to christian yelich's stance so what do you think of this change in his swing at all or what do you think this means for ben gamble if he continues to have success with this I mean, if it works, it works, right? <laughs> you think changing your swing to look more like Christian Yelich and it actually works? I am not going to be mad about that at all and keep doing it because if we get this kind of production from 
what is he, our fourth outfielder? Is Ryan Braun now the fourth outfielder? Like, how is that dynamic going to play out? It's just going to be interesting and fun to watch. And to have another guy that you kind of trust to get you hits in big spots, whether that's coming off the bench, whether that's playing in the outfield, whatever it happens to be, it'll be it'll be fun to watch. And hopefully he can keep it up. I'm not really expecting him to keep up that high level of play, but definitely if he's able to, it's going to make this Brewers outfield even better and make them a lot more interesting team, I think, uh, going into this 2020 season and hopefully postseason as well. So yeah, only time will tell with with Ben Gamel here. Hopefully he can he can make a way and try and carve out a role in this Brewers offense because it'd be cool to see him produce and have have a career year in this in this shortened season. But there are going to be lots of other guys he's contending with too, and the Brewers just recently added to their player pool. So their roster has increased up to 58 out of the total 60. So those added recently were left-handed pitcher-slash-outfielder Clayton Andrews, right-hand pitcher Phil Bickfor, right-hand pitcher Dylan File, left-hand pitcher Anton Kelly, left-handed pitcher Angel Perdomo, left-hander Ethan Small, Trey Supak, outfielder Thomas Dillard, catcher Mario Feliciano, outfielders Tristan Lutz, Corey Ray, and then infielder Bryce Terang. Any surprises or thoughts on this group of guys who were added? I don't think so. I think there's a lot of guys on there that you just get excited for. And with these players, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Um, those guys that are going to get you excited. Uh, I think it was Matt Carroll a couple weeks ago that brought up Dylan File. I am super, super excited about him now. And possibly being able to see him this season is going to be fun. Um, I think with all with the same with, you know, Feliciano, Dillard, Trey Supak, Ethan Small, Lutz, Corey Ray, Bryce Ring, like all these guys, if, if we're able to see them at all, even in small bits and pieces, I think I think it's definitely going to be very fun for us uh, Brewer fans to see these players a little bit and get us more and more excited about these young and up-and-coming guys. Yeah, File, yeah, like you mentioned, that was Matt Carroll who got me really stoked about him, and he pitched a lot last year. I'm pretty sure it was at double A, I believe, for most of the time, so still might skip a level, per se, if you were to pitch uh, in the majors at all this year. And uh, Angel Perdomo was another guy most people were excited about from spring training. He was shutting everybody down and striking guys out at, like, Josh Hader type standards, so we'll, we'll see what happens there with him. I'm I was kind of surprised he didn't get invited to the initial 30-man summer camp, and then obviously Ethan Small. A lot of guys excited about there. Um, if he's going to be used this year or not, I, I don't know. We'll see. I guess I guess if he was to be used, and Council wants to deploy his pitchers like it's September because he's can carry so many of them, we could see Ethan Small come and work two inning stints, two or maybe even three inning stints at a time, that would that would kind of be cool. But I'm more curious to as who's going to get these last two spots. There's lots of speculations out there that Garrett Mitchell, the number one draft pick this year, will get one of those spots. It's kind of odd that catcher Peyton Henry didn't get in there. Um, out of the t- Brewers' top six prospects, the only one who did not get in was Aaron Ashby, another left-handed pitcher, but he hasn't pitched past high a yet so that kind of makes sense 
Um, but do you have any ideas, or who do you think you want for these last two roster spots? Yeah, the the Garrett Mitchell thing is interesting because I uh, when I look at these names, he's one that like comes to mind, but also like baseball kind of hierarchy, you you don't get that shot at possible major league contributions in the year you were drafted. That is like completely unheard of. So that is like a little bit of a question, but also this is now your number one prospect in, in the organization. So does going and getting him on this roster to try to get some added development from him, that could definitely be beneficial because these guys that he's going to be at the Timber Rattlers facility with, they're, they're all good, like high quality potential, high quality guys to see and to like, just be on the field with. So I do think that one's uh, especially interesting. I would love to see Peyton Henry on this one, on this list. That would have been real exciting. Uh, what were some of the other guys you said, Tyler? Aaron Ashby. You mentioned Peyton Henry. Lucas Erceg could be another candidate. He's played a lot at AAA without, the, without any big results. Um, those are the first couple that come to mind. Okay, and I think... Like you said, I think Ashby's a little far away, but also Garrett Mitchell hasn't played past college ball, so you can't really use that argument. But if you look at the list, there's also there's already four left-handed pitchers in this group. So does adding a fifth in Ashby make sense? Who knows? Like that that could be a very useful thing. You know, a left-handed arm goes down at the major league level. You have your pick of five guys, whoever's pitching well at the time to bring up, that could be an option and something to keep an eye on there. But I think, I mean, if it was me, it would be Peyton Henry and Garrett Mitchell, just because I am really excited about both of those players. Yeah, the the point you make about the left-handed pitchers is actually interesting because, I mean, minus Josh Hader in the bullpen, you t- think of your typical relievers. Well, you have Alex Claudio and then Brett Suter. Well, Suter was incredible last year in what, like the 18 innings he pitched. Like he gave up like one earned run or something ridiculous like that. But you can't obviously expect that level of success out of Suter. And as a starter, he was he was okay, very low, like fifth starter type of guy um so maybe he's found a calling in the bullpen but then alex claudio he was used so much last year he struggles with command at times and that era once it starts creeping over four will one of these other guys make more sense just to give him a shot it it makes sense i think especially with all these games and how magnified they are so yeah, I'm glad the brewers decided to restock their minor league system with lefties because then yeah, you can get yeah, now this year you have the ability to bring up some of these other guys. Speaking of lefties, the last thing I want to talk about today is Josh Hader. So he, in an interview that we're going to play here in a second, talks about what he's been working on since quarantine. So let's listen to that here. Just focusing on trying to create my shapes of my pitches. So like really dialing in on the change up was one of the biggest things for me. And then moving to the slider, just trying to make sure my secondary uh, pitches are shaped, uh, you know, tight and they're, they're pretty sharp. So that's kind of one of the biggest things for me, like 
and then moving into live hitters, just trying to use what I was doing to thrown to the net, now using it on the mound and against hitters. So I found that it was really interesting that he started working on his changeup first as opposed to his slider because he definitely used the slider more than his changeup last year. I don't even know if he threw a pitch that was classified as a changeup in 2019 at all. But what are your first impressions here on Josh Hader and him talking about his off-speed stuff? I joke about this a lot with you, Tyler that you know you figured out Josh Hader's home run issue he's just got to throw that slider more but I do think his slider is a very effective pitch for him I don't think he needs to really like hammer that down and figure out how to throw it because I do think it is a very effective pitch and he does a good job with it he just needs to feel comfortable and throw it a little bit more often so to me it makes sense for him to work on that third pitch and and it's not going to be something that he throws 30, 40% of the time. It's going to be something that he throws, you know, maybe closer to the range of 5 to 15, 10 to 20% of the time, kind of somewhere in that range. And then it's fastball, 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 slider, fastball, slider, slider, fastball, change up randomly thrown in there. It's just an extra way to keep hitters off guard. And against that fastball and his release and everything that he does to be so effective to add an extra pitch that the hitters need to be worried about I think makes all the sense in the world and like I said that sliders are already a pretty effective pitch so why not work on the third one to make yourself an even more effective pitcher which he already is insanely effective and very very good at getting those strikeout numbers and this can only help him as long as he has that kind of control and location down with this pitch. It's crazy how good he is with that fastball because you were mentioning the percentages. His slider last year, he only threw 15% of the time. So if he can throw in a changeup in there, call it another 10%, that would bring his fastball usage down to 74% if ish, give or take a few in there. But yeah, that it just keeps hitters off balance. And we know he's going to strike batters out. So you can obviously get ahead with the fastball because guys can't touch it anyway even when they know it's coming most of the time but when they do hit him it goes a long ways which obviously the home runs that's that always been a big issue with Hayter, especially last year but if you start throwing in that changeup and get batters out ahead a little bit more and all of a sudden they start rolling over on a few more pitches well then that those are gonna be easy ground outs sure it's not as sexy as another strikeout for the hater aid machine but it's, I think it's going to go a long way for him, not only this year, but as he progresses and gets older and continues as a closer, hopefully throughout his career in a brewery uniform, that'd be even better. But yeah, 10% changeup, I'd be happy with that. I think the biggest thing will just be comfort because as effective as mixing a slider in was last year, I just don't think he looked all that comfortable with it at times last year. All right, so I think that will wrap us up here for today. We have one more podcast before opening day on July 24th, so crazy. I'm glad that that is finally, finally almost upon us. So we'll have to do something special here next Monday on the 20th when we come out with our next podcast. But 
This week, make sure you're still following in with the Brewers. They are set to do a Blue and Gold World Series this week, so they're actually going to be doing more like full games in practice. And yes, they will be streaming it, and they will potentially have commentary is what I have been reading online. So you'll be watching Brewers versus Brewers, hopefully with like some BA or um, The Rock on there. Who, who knows? But... We will, we will see you next week in our last podcast before opening day. So see you later, Brewer fans. Trust in Stearns. <laughs>